Welcome to Family Bible Hour, a broadcast of the Sunday morning worship services of North Florida Baptist Church in Tallahassee, Florida. Wow, there just couldn't be a more fitting song to the message today. The title is The Big Day, and we're going to see as our text, Revelation 19, 6 through 10, and later on we'll go to uh, another text in the book of the Revelation, chapter 4. Great job. Thank you so much, Mike. A little girl and her mother were attending the wedding. This was the first time the little girl had ever been to a wedding. She was in awe of the the beauty and the majesty of everything, the music, the formal atmosphere, the decorations, the bride, and the groom, their attendees in such beautiful dresses. She leaned over to her mother and she said, Mommy, what dear? Asked her mother. Why is the bride dressed in white? And the mother looked at her and smiled and said, Sweetheart, the bride wears white because white's the color of happiness. This is the happiest day of her life. And her mom leaned over, the little girl said, Why is the groom wearing black? I mean, that's just a good question, I guess. <clears throat> a teenager and a grandfather went fishing one day, and they started talking about how times had changed, and the grandson picked up on this. And he started with all kinds of problems that were going on in his generation. One problem was sexually transmitted diseases. And he said, Grandpa, they didn't have a whole lot of problems with these diseases when you were young, did they? Nope said his granddaddy. Well, what did they do for safe sex? He said they had a wedding ring. Amen? Amen. That's what today is about. It's about a wedding day. It's a big day in heaven because it's the day when Jesus will be wed to his bride. He's returned to receive his bride, the church. Together they have met in the clouds, and now there has been a time of judgment, the judgment seat of Christ. There's been a time of reward, and now it's time for the marriage supper of the Lamb. This is a scene in heaven that will unfold, and we will be a part of it. If you're born again, you're going to be a part of this. I was having dinner with my mother-in-law and wife last night, and I referenced this in a conversation with my mother-in-law. We'll all be a part of this marriage supper of the Lamb, we who are saved. Verse 6, Then I heard what seemed to be a voice of a great multitude, like the roar of many waters, and like the sound of mighty peals of thunder, crying out, Hallelujah! For the Lord our God, the Almighty, reigns. Let us rejoice and exalt and give Him the, the glory for the marriage of the Lamb has come and his bride has made herself ready. It was granted her to clothe herself with fine linen, bright and pure. For the fine linen is the righteous deeds of the saints. The angel said to me, write this, 
Blessed are those who are invited to the marriage supper of the Lamb. And he said to me, These are the true words of God. Then I fell down at his feet. This is John the Beloved talking. I fell down at his feet to worship him. But he said to me, You must not do that. I'm a fellow servant with you and your brothers who hold to the testimony of Jesus. Worship God for the testimony of Jesus is the spirit of prophecy. Now, I've been to and participated in all kinds of weddings. I remember Junior Hill saying one time that he had never seen that, that all brides are beautiful, and he had never seen an ugly bride. He stood in this pulpit and said that. Then he said, now some have come close, but... Uh, But he said, I've never seen an ugly bride. And quite honestly, I've never seen one come close. They really are beautiful. Brides are beautiful, absolutely beautiful. And I have enjoyed different kinds of weddings. I've done weddings at people's homes, at the home of someone else, at uh, Dorothy B. Oven or Oven Park. I have done them. I've never done a beach wedding. And... uh, and that, I mean, that's, that's okay. I don't look good at the beach. But, uh, <clears throat> but to be honest with you, when it comes to weddings, I'm pretty much a traditionalist. I really love the sound of a, a pipe organ. And I love the long flowing white dresses of the brides and the bridesmaids' dresses in the colors of the, <clears throat> the season. And I like to see young men in traditional tuxedos. Jan and I were married in the same church where Jim and Krista Biddle were married. In fact, you're looking at a picture of Jim and Krista Biddle's wedding that took place just a couple of years ago. Let's see, it'll be two years in September, is that right? Two years in September. We were married there at the Eastland Baptist Church, and there was a a pipe organ a magnificent three-manual Reuter pipe organ. And it was quite the instrument. And they had a church organist that could play it some, but the only person in town that we knew that could really do it justice was a guy by the name of Mr. Briggs who happened to live just down the street from uh, Jan and her family. And so he played the pipe organ on that day, and it was truly magnificent, the sound that he got out of that. I love the bigness of the music of a wedding. Well, as great as any wedding has been, whether it was the Biddle wedding or my wedding or your wedding, and regardless of how anyone was dressed and regardless of the setting and regardless of all the plans, there's coming a wedding day that is unparalleled There's coming a wedding day that is unmatched, and it is the wedding day of the lamb to his bride, of Jesus to his church. Today, we're going to see only two points and a couple of points under each. First, we're going to talk about the wedding day, and we're going to talk about the crowning day. Regardless of where you have it or how formal or informal it may be, There's always a lot that goes into the planning of a wedding. 
there's always a lot that is pulled together and coordinated and hopefully made just right for the big day. But it all starts after the engagement with an announcement. Now they've added to that announcement a save the date card and uh, now you have a save the date card and then you're going to get the wedding announcement. But this wedding announcement that was in heaven, oh, it was absolutely magnificent. It had a, a roar to it. When I read about the wedding announcement, I, I thought about the description that people have of tornadoes that come through. All of us have heard the reports of how a tornado has ripped through the area and what it sounded like. In April of 1998, uh, my mother-in-law was in her home in East Nashville when a Category F5 tornado ripped through Nashville. And I remember her saying that there was something strange in the air and she went to the back door and the suction of the tornado sucked the back door right out of her hand and slammed it. Then she went quickly to the basement where she heard it roar through and when she came out, the street and behind her and around her and the block down the way and all through East Nashville, a swath had been torn and it was just absolute devastation. And people described the sound that they heard and the sound that they heard was described, you know what it, they say, like a train coming through the house. And I think of that sound of description when I think of the, the wedding announcement in heaven. The metaphor of the announcement of heaven's wedding is a reminder of how powerful and magnificent this event is going to be. There'll be no pipe organ. There'll be no canned music. There'll be nothing that I think is all that familiar to us, but what an announcement it is going to be. Again, verse 6, then I heard what seemed to be the voice of a great multitude, like the roar of many waters, and like the sound of mighty peals of thunder crying out, hallelujah, for the Lord our God, the Almighty reigns. Let us rejoice and exult and give him the glory, for the marriage of the Lamb has come, and his bride has made herself ready. We've all heard the hallelujah chorus. If you've attended the Passion Play, you've heard the Hallelujah Chorus. First time I ever heard the Hallelujah Chorus, the very first time I ever heard it, I was a participant in singing it. We went to a city auditorium in Chattanooga, Tennessee. I was part of a group called the Singing Men of Temple, and there was the concert choir, and there were all kinds of other choirs there. And we all came together with the church choir, and there was a choir of maybe four to 500 people. And we gathered in the, the city auditorium in Chattanooga, and we performed. And the first time that I heard it was the dress rehearsal or the rehearsal of it. And I will tell you that when I heard and participated in that hallelujah chorus the very first time, I can still recall the hair on the back of my neck standing up. <clears throat> I can still remember how wonderful it was to sing the hallelujahs and the hallelujah chorus. But that performance isn't even close to the power of the hallelujah announcement in heaven. 
I wish that I could say or do something. I wish that I could express something. I wish there were a way that we could demonstrate just how big and powerful and mighty and wonderful the hallelujah is going to be on the wedding day, but it's going to be a big hallelujah. That's the announcement. At the wedding day, there's the adornment. Verse 8, it was granted her to clothe herself with fine linen, bright and pure, for the fine linen is the righteous deeds of the saints. The church has to make herself ready for this supper. This cleansing was done at the judgment seat of Christ. The bride of Christ will not come to the wedding banquet and come to the wedding unprepared. There will not be a wrinkle or a tear. There will not be a smudge. There will not be a shadow. There will not be anything that is less than perfection in the wedding garment. Ephesians 5.25 says, Husbands, love your wives as Christ loved the church and gave himself up for her, that he might sanctify her, having cleansed her by the washing of the water with the word, so that he might present the church to himself in splendor without spot or wrinkle or any such thing that she might be holy without blemish. Let me tell you something about being the bride in heaven. First of all, we go to heaven not by our good works. There are no works that we do. The, even the ability to be clothed in white garment is given to us by the blood of the Lamb of Jesus Christ. His precious red blood washes our black sins white as snow. So we go to heaven based on his sacrifice for our sins. However, the Bible said in our text that the fine linen is the righteous deeds of the saints. Very interesting. While the bride goes to heaven by God's grace and not good works, once in heaven believers will be judged in Christ's judgment seat for their faithfulness in life and service. And our text states that the brides will wear the righteous deeds of the saints. Christ will reward us when we get to heaven. Perhaps in our faithfulness, I'm not exactly sure how that reward works. It's partly though we are dressed in our wedding garment based on our life on this earth. Dr. Lehman Strauss, a great Bible mind and wonderful Bible scholar, said, Has it ever occurred to you that at the marriage of the bride to the Lamb, each of us will be wearing the wedding garment of our own making? That's an ominous thought. In a few minutes, we're going to talk about the crowns of the believers, the crowns that we receive, the crowns that... Mike sang about just a few moments ago. The crowns that that we will receive as believers and and, uh, what we will do with them. Another way to think as we navigate this life is that we are making wedding plans. You might think of the way you live today and the way you live tomorrow as making your wedding plans for the wedding to come, for the time to come. And may I assure you, that casual clothes will not be the order of the day? May I assure you that we won't be thrilled with short dresses or running shorts or short pants. We want a white garment 
a white garment to honor the groom as we are the bride. On wedding day, there is an announcement, and it's huge. On wedding day, there is an adornment, and it's white. On a wedding day, there is attendance. I said earlier that all of us will be there, and we will be there if we're saved. You understand that there's two places at the end of this life. There's heaven and there's hell. And Jesus said, you must be born again. And that's the only way you go to heaven. And I say that humbly, and I say that with a pleading in my heart that everyone here trusts Jesus Christ as Savior and Lord. And if there happens to be someone who has that still stirring in your heart that says, I don't know for sure that I'm on my way to heaven. Please understand that God loves you and Jesus Christ, the Son of God, died on the cross for your sins and He, this very day, wants to save you and give you eternal life. This very day. Who is in attendance? Verse 9 says, And the angel said to me, Write this, Blessed are those who are invited to the marriage supper of the Lamb. And He said to me, These are the true words of God. Warren Wiersbe states, it is interesting that this is the marriage supper of the Lamb and not the marriage of the King or the marriage of the Lord. The one title that Christ once emphasized for all of eternity is the Lamb. It tells of His love for the church and the price that He paid to to purchase the church. Throughout the years, I've heard a lot of discussion about who will be at the wedding and who will be the guest. I can listen, I can hear my daddy right now end upon end conversations with preacher friends talking about who will be the bride and who will be the guest. And he'd talk about this kind of baptism and that kind of baptism. And I loved my daddy and I appreciated my daddy, but all that's a waste of time. Look, I'm willing to wait for the details not clearly given for the time that it is clearly given. But I will say this to you, one thing is for sure, the bride is the church, and that's you and me. The saved in this church age are the bride of Christ. We are in attendance because we have been redeemed. We've been washed in the blood of the Lamb. The same Lamb who is the bridegroom on the wedding day cleansed us from all unrighteousness and will be in attendance because of Him, not because of what we've done, but because of what he's done. Wedding day, there's an announcement, there's an adornment, there's an attendance. And could I tell you this? If we've not done so already, we'll make an adjustment when we get there. Let me explain what I mean by that. Again, John the Beloved is the writer of the, or the recorder, if you will, of the, the uh, book of the Revelation. In Revelation 19.10, Then I fell down at his feet to worship him. But he said to me, You must not do that. I am a fellow servant with you and your brothers who hold the testimony of Jesus. Worship God, for the testimony of Jesus is the spirit of prophecy. John became so excited that he fell down to worship the angel, but the angel told him, Don't even think about that. You shouldn't do that. This wedding is different from all the other weddings. Whenever we do a wedding, no matter what it, where it is, 
I did the wedding for Matt and Jess. <clears throat> I did the wedding for so many others of you in here. Here's what I often say just to kind of help everybody to understand what to do is I tell them this day is about the bride. Focus on the bride. If you ever wonder where you're supposed to look, look at the bride. If you ever wonder how, where you're supposed to turn, turn toward the direction of the bride. It's all about <clears throat> the bride. But not the wedding of the lamb. It's all about the groom. Everything is about the groom. It's about the groom now. Even the celebrity of, of the presence of this angel should not diminish the focus on the groom. And when John the Beloved fell down and, and he wanted to worship at the feet of this angel, the angel said, it's not about me. Get up. The day of this prophecy is about Jesus. The day of this prophecy is about the Lamb. And if you'll allow me to digress from the main theme of the message, let me just say a couple of words about that. I honestly think that we need to make some adjustments in our Christian understanding, some adjustments in our thinking as believers. Earlier in my ministry, I was a bit enamored, not a bit, I was overly enamored with certain preachers and and ministers. And if it was big and impressive, that meant something big to me. I felt like somehow or another, if somebody was the leader of this size of group or that size of group, that they deserve some sort of homage that others may not deserve. And back then there was a, in my mind, a, a hierarchy of ministry. In my thinking, that's the way that it worked. If you worked real hard and climbed as high as you could, then you could be recognized as, as one of the elite. And could I say this to you, that there's still that thinking in Christian circles. Obviously, there are people who are more widely known than other people. Obviously, there are people who have perhaps a scope of influence that's different than other people. But what I've come to understand is the longer that I stay in the ministry, the more I realize that God's servants should be sensitive to people giving them undue homage in their lives. And whenever we have this tendency to fall at the feet of someone who's done something great or someone who we think is great, we should uh, step back and realize, wait just a minute, there's only one great and only one reason that we know of this person, and that's the Lord Jesus Christ in their lives. It doesn't matter who it is. In the work of God, were that person not saved by the grace and by the blood of Jesus Christ, you would have never known that person's name, and you would have never even thought about revering them. The angel said it right when he said, don't do that. Don't fall down like that before me. You get up. I'm a servant just like you are. God bless Billy Graham's understanding. There's a difference in respect and reverence. And pastors and preachers and missionaries and even angels are never to be revered. Billy Graham, I've heard him say this. And I respect, and I admire, and I, a lot of things, Dr. Billy Graham and others 
But Dr. Graham has made this statement that I heard him make. He said, I refuse to be called reverend because I believe that reverence belongs to God. And the angel gave us that testimony on this wedding day when John the Beloved saw it in heaven and he fell down and the angel said, don't fall down, stand back up. I'm just somebody like you. And it's, and I'm not in that category of people that I've just described, but I will tell you that those who are in that category should do more of the get up. I'm just somebody like you. Don't talk like that to me. I'm just somebody like you. Don't think that what I say is the will of God. I'm just somebody like you. Don't think that my steps are illuminated in every foot that I place, you can place your foot in the same one and be doing the will of God. I'm just somebody like you. We must remember and we should remember and we should stand upon and hold to the reality that we are just people. Whenever we think ourselves more highly than we ought, then the Bible teaches us that we're set ourselves for destruction. I, uh, one quick thing that's not, un, not planned. I uh, have this friend in Michigan. You know about him. I talked to you about him for two years. He was in prison. And he was in prison because he stole money from his church. He's gotten out of prison now. He's been out of prison about six months. He's gotten a job. He's walking with the Lord. He's repaying the church. He's, you know, the, the whole nine yards. And, and I tried to be close to him during that time. And and raise some money for him to get him on his feet, and, and I, I could go all into that, and I won't go into it. But more than one occasion, some of my friends have said this to me. They said, you know, Randy, you really stayed close to him. And, you, and they would make kind comments to me about having stayed close to him and trying to get him back on his feet. And I said to them, every single one without question, I said, don't misunderstand this. I was never really that close to him before. He was a friend, he was an acquaintance, but we were not the closest of friends. But when he did what he did, I realized that I'm only one stupid decision away from making as big a mistake as he might have made. And I don't want to make that kind of mistake. I don't want to be in that kind of a situation. And for that reason, I've tried my best to be faithful to him and to be helpful to him. And the point that I'm making is this, there are none of us, regardless of what kind of a sacrifice we think we have made, what kind of a work we think we're doing, how, how holy and glorious we think that we are, there's not a one of us that would be anything were it not for the blood of the Lamb of God. Amen. And the angel pushed that reset button. And the angel said, don't think like, of me like that. Well, it's the wedding day, but it's also the <clears throat> crowning day. Now we move to a text that gives more detail of how we should respond, respond to the bridegroom and how we will, the Lamb of God. Revelation chapter 4 <clears throat> and verse 2 says, <clears throat> pardon me, <clears throat> at once I was in the spirit and behold, a throne stood in heaven with one seated on the throne. 
And he who sat there had the appearance of Jasper and Carnelian. And around the throne was a rainbow that had the appearance of emerald. And around the throne were 24 thrones. And seated on the thrones were 24 elders clothed in white garment and golden crowns on their heads. This has application to our message today. Because the bride will honor the bridegroom. And with crowns they will lay them at his feet. And we know this because in this passage that we just read, you and I are represented. We are around the throne. If you're going to, will allow me, I want to take everybody to to Bible college or to seminary for just a little bit, okay? I'm going to teach you a seminary lesson real quickly. Not, uh, won't be too tough. It'll be easy, in fact. But it might help you to understand some things. I want to explain what theologians call types or typology. That's T-Y-P-E, typology. A biblical type or typology is the foreshadowing of a truth that is not yet seen. That's what a type is. You see the shadow of a truth before you see the truth. I'll give you an illustration. If we were standing at the corner of a building... And we were leaned back against the corner of the building, right at the corner, and there was, and, and we were standing in the shade, and there was sun coming down the, the side of the building, bright, brilliant sunlight down the side of the building, and we were just leaned back in the shade, and we heard the footsteps of someone coming down the sidewalk on the sunny side of the building. Now, because we were standing in the shade, we know that the sun is casting a shadow uh, forward or in front of us. And if that person is coming down the sidewalk and the sun is at that person's back, then the shadow is going before them. A shadow behind you is just a shadow, but a shadow in front of you is a foreshadow. We've all been that way. We've all walked and seen our shadow walking in front of us, our long shadow walking in front of us. If you're like me, sometimes I'll wave at my shadow, do things like that. The problem is when the shadow waves back. That's when there's an issue. But we're looking and there's that foreshadow. Now let me tell you about the foreshadow. We can't tell for sure what the foreshadow the person looks like. But we can tell whether it's a a dog or a human being. We can typically tell whether it's a a male or a female. We can tell other things. We can tell whether or not the person is wearing a long coat or whether the person is wearing a jogging outfit. We can't tell the color of the person's eyes. We can't tell the color of the person's hair. But the foreshadow will tell us oftentimes the gender of a person. It'll give us an idea of what is to come. And then as soon as that person rounds the corner, we will see face to face what we saw earlier in only a shadow. That's called a type. That shadow that comes before is a type of the reality that's to come later. The four and 20 elders are a foreshadow or a type of the church. They are a shadow of what's to come when we, the church, are around the throne. 
They are a type of who we are and who is to come as we are, you and I are, are bowed before the Lamb of God. And at the scene in heaven, we are represented, and to participate in this, uh, of our, uh, to participate in this joy, we have to be rewarded. We are on crowning day represented, and we have been rewarded. It's important that we have been rewarded. The 24 elders cast their crowns before the throne of Jesus the Lamb, and they are representing us, and that means that we will cast our crowns before the throne. In other words, we'll see the glory of God in the pile of crowns that Mike sang of earlier. If you've not already given thought to it, think about this. There's only one currency in heaven. Now, if you go to Europe, you can find in Europe, you can find the euro, you can find the dollar, you can find the pound, you can find various currencies in Europe and around the world. If you go to Mexico, you find the peso. If you go to Argentina, there is yet another currency called the peso. There's only one currency in heaven, and it's crowns. That's it. There's nothing else. No other currency. And what do we do with those crowns? We only have one place to spend them. And that's when we cast them at Jesus' feet. Here's an old hymn that, that most of you have never heard. I won't sing it because obviously I'm coughing right now. <coughs> but the title of the hymn is, Shall I Go in Empty-Handed? How many of you have ever even heard that hymn? Here's the words, <coughs> just a few of them. Must I go and empty-handed, thus my dear Redeemer meet not one day of service give him lay no trophy at his feet must I go and empty handed must I meet my Savior so not one soul with which to greet him must I empty handed go you ever gone to an event where everybody else brought a gift and you didn't bring one? <clears throat> you ever gone somewhere you didn't know you were supposed to have a gift? It's a little embarrassing. You have to find a way to <clears throat> put that embarrassment off just a little bit. Worse than embarrassing would it be to go and empty-handed be. There are five <clears throat> crowns mentioned in the New Testament. And as with many other things, we could do a series about the crowns, and maybe I will do a series, a quick series, about these five crowns. I'm not going to explain them. I'm just going to list them for you. There's the imperishable crown, 1 Corinthians chapter 9 and verses 24 and 25, if you want to make note of that. Then there's the crown of rejoicing, 1 Thessalonians 2 and 19. And then there's the crown of righteousness, 2 Timothy 4 and eight. There's the crown of glory, 1 Peter chapter 5 and verse 4. And there's the crown of life, Revelation 2.10. We'll receive our crowns, and once we receive our crowns, they will be rendered.
we'll spend them immediately. We're not going to hold on to them. <clears throat> There'll be no hoarding of them. There'll be no looking around and saying, hey, how many do you have? <clears throat> Look what I've got. No, we're only interested in one thing, taking these crowns and laying them at Jesus' feet. Verse 10, the 24 elders fall down before him who is seated on the throne and worship him who lives forever. And they cast their crowns before the throne saying, worthy are you, our Lord and God, to receive glory and honor and power for you created all things and by your will they existed and were created. There is no payment for heaven. Well, there is a payment, the blood of Jesus Christ, but we are there by the grace of God. However, there is an opportunity to give the Lord our praise, our thanksgiving, our crowns. Before the throne of God, we will spend the only unique possession that we have in heaven, the crowns that we have earned on this earth. The song says, glad day, glad day. Is it the crowning day? I'll live for today, nor anxious be. Jesus, my Lord, I soon shall see. Glad day, glad day. Is it the crowning day? There's coming a crowning day, friends. There's coming a day when we will see him face to face. We'll be clothed in the garment of the righteousness that he has given to us and any righteousness that we have lived through him. And we will take the crown or the crown. And we will say, now this is a beautiful thing. What shall I do with it? I'll crown him with many crowns. The lamb upon the throne. I want to tell you something. If I weren't so Baptist, I could have a shouting running fit right now. Because that's huge. That one day we'll have something to give him. In our praise and worship time, we lift our voices and lift our hands and lift our heads and give him praise. But one day we'll fall before him and give him crowns. It is the crowning day. You've been listening to the Family Bible Hour a broadcast ministry of North Florida Baptist Church in Tallahassee, Florida. You can visit us at North Florida Baptist Church, 3000 North Meridian Road, Tallahassee, Florida, 32312. Visit us online at nflchurch.com. Dr. Ray invites you to join him next week for the Family Bible Hour.